Chapter 12 She had a six-pack of beer in her mittened hand when I opened the door. She was dressed in jeans, duck boots, and a hooded puffy coat that made her curves look dumpy. It didn't matter. She was the most beautiful thing I'd seen in a long time. Hey, Fitz. Hey, come on in. To what do I owe this visit? She smiled as she stepped inside. Let's say I'm officially checking on the welfare of Marco Hausman. He's here, right? Upstairs sleeping. Need to check on him? No, I'm going to trust you. She sat the beer down and I helped her remove her coat. That's a first in a long time. I turned to hang the coat in the closet. Yeah? Well, whose fault was that? Mine. Completely mine. I gestured for her to follow me into the kitchen. I pulled a bag of pretzels from the cabinet, a couple frosted mugs from the freezer. We were silent as we poured the beer. I want to apologize for that phone call. Don't worry about it. We all do things we regret when we crawled inside a bottle. I, I still shouldn't have done it. It's not right. It's not fair to Connor. Who? Probate boy. His name is Connor Morrissey. She took a sip of her beer. I caught a glimpse of her left hand. You're not wearing your engagement ring. You guys okay? She sighed and hung her head. I can't get you out of my head. I reached over and took her hand. I can't either, but you're engaged, Alicia. You guys bought a house together. We didn't buy a house. I bought that house. He still has his condo in Akron. Yeah, but you guys live together, right? On Sunday, when I met you at Puccini's, his Porsche was parked out front. I saw him out running. We spend most weekends together. Sometimes we'll go back and forth during the week, depending on our caseloads. And in case you can't tell, I don't run. Yeah, I heard that you hadn't set a wedding date because your caseload is so high. This town never stops talking, does it? Well, is it true? My personal caseload isn't any higher than it's ever been. We just have more assistant prosecutors on staff to handle the smaller stuff. But have you set a date? No. Well, how long are you going to keep this guy waiting? You've been engaged for what, 18 months? 14. Takes a long time to plan a wedding, Fitz. You can't plan a wedding if you haven't set a date. If you don't really want to marry this guy, then cut the poor bastard loose. Fitz, it's just that... It's an easy question, Counselor. Do you love him or not? Again, the silence. I love him, but I'm not in love with him. What does that mean? We're happy. He's kind to me. We have a lot of fun together. But? But I want you. I can't get those few nights we had out of my mind. I miss the banter we had, the flirting. When you were married to Gracie, a double entendre from you could make my whole day, even if I knew you didn't mean it. Look at me, Fitz. I'm never going to be on the Swedish bikini team, but you, you made me feel like the sexiest woman on the planet. That's because you are. We stood simultaneously, our eyes locking together. In a few steps, our arms were wrapped around each other and our lips were pressed together. Please, Fitz. She whispered hoarsely into my neck. Please. Once again, I was on dangerous yet familiar ground with another man's woman. I didn't care. She didn't care. My lips ran down her neck to her shoulder, kneading her behind with my hands. She slid her hands into my shirt to unbutton it. As mine slid up the soft skin of her back, my fingers found the hooks to her bra. She inhaled in anticipation. We both knew that if naked skin touched naked skin, there would be no more thought. 
No more reason. No turning back. I stopped and stepped away from her embrace. We have to stop, Alicia. We have to stop now. No, Fitz, please. This isn't right. You've got to tell him the truth. I will. I will. She pulled me close to kiss me. Tonight, I just want you. No. This time I grabbed her firmly by the arms and pushed her gently away. You know I want you more than anything in the world, but until it's over with probate, boy, this can't happen. It's not right. Years ago, I wouldn't have cared. Years ago, I would have succumbed to my hormones, and it wouldn't have been dinner we made on the kitchen table. But not now. Not with the woman I wanted in my life right now. I was going to do something right for once. She stepped back into my arms and lay her face on my chest. I held her close, kissing the top of her head and stroking her blonde hair. For the first time in years, I was close to having what I wanted. And this time, I wasn't scared. You're right. You're right. I will talk to him. I promise. I lifted her chin and kissed her. And another reason. The kid is upstairs. Her shoulders sank. Oh, that's right. God, would that get me thrown in front of the bar's ethics committee or what? I doubt it. But if that little shit ever caught us, this town would never shut up. We smiled and reached for each other's hands. What happens now? You go home, counselor. I leaned in to kiss her. And the sooner you're honest with probate boy, the sooner you get more of this. I promise. The next morning, I called Joe Pecorini's cell after I dropped Marco off at school. It went straight to voicemail. Hello. Your name showed up on a client list for the Velvet Rope Club. Please call me at your earliest convenience. He probably knew his wife hired a private detective to dig up information on his sister-in-law, so leaving my name might spook him. But letting him know he'd been identified as a card-carrying client of a kinky sex club might rattle him enough to call. The next number I called was Mistress Delaney. That, too, went straight to voicemail. Hi, Mistress Delaney. Uh, my name is John. I got your name from a friend of mine, Steve. I was wondering if we could... My words intentionally faltered to give the impression I was new to her world, more than a little uncertain. Make a date? Please call me. My cell phone began to ring as I pulled up in front of my office. It was Joe Pecorini. Just to rattle him, I let the first call go to voicemail. And the second. I answered the third. Hello, Joe. Who is this? That doesn't matter. I need to know why your name showed up in a client list for a sex club. I'm not telling you shit unless you tell me who you are. You might want to reconsider that. If you don't want to tell me, how about I tell Carlotta where I found it? He sighed heavily, and I smiled to myself. You want to meet me somewhere and tell me the whole story, or do you want me to tell your wife? Your choice. I'm in Cincinnati, on business. I can't meet you today. You expect me to believe that? I want to see for myself what kind of scumbag does this to his wife. Can we Skype? No. Another sigh. Listen, this really isn't a good time. My wife's sister was murdered a couple days ago, and the funeral is Thursday. I don't know where you got that information, but I'm sure your wife would like to know where I got it. You wouldn't dare. I wouldn't? Beccarini was silent on the other end of the phone. You ready to meet me now? He gave me the name of a truck stop out on the highway. I can meet you by three. Meet me in the coffee shop. 
See you then. By this time, Mary Margaret was standing in the office window, staring at me. I returned to the wave as I stepped out of my excursion, hitting the key fob to lock it up. She was on my heels as soon as I walked into the office. So, what's up this morning? Who are you talking to? She followed me back to the coffee pot at the back of the office. Nothing and nobody. Carlotta Pecorini called. She's found something she wants you to see. I stopped pouring yesterday's sludge into my cup. Did she say what it was? No, but she was crying. Any other calls? Marco threw up at school. They needed to come pick him up. Damn it. I had a whole fucking day planned and now it was all going up in smoke because of this kid. How did my sisters and sisters-in-law do it? How the hell am I supposed to get anything done if I need to be home watching Marco toss his cookies? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of the office. You just work from home. If anything pressing comes up, I'll call you. One question. How old were you when your mother let you stay home by yourself? 21. Why? Mary Margaret Cleary was the only child. Her mother, Bridget, was widowed early and dedicated her life to obsessing over her only daughter. With six brothers and sisters and Ma, God rest her soul, full-time housewife, I was seldom alone at the house. But then, times were different, too. Never mind. I'll call Carlotta on my way over to the school and see what's up with her. Marco was slightly green around the gills and hugging his backpack to his chest when I walked into the principal's office. The school nurse sat beside him, holding a disposable blue bowl in one hand and rubbing his back with the other. Mr. Fitzhugh, thank you for coming so quickly. No problem. Hey, kiddo, you're not looking so good. Marco moaned in response, full of the middle school drama I'd seen with my nieces and nephews. There's a 24-hour bug going around. He should be fine by tomorrow morning. I took Marco's backpack from him as he stood. Come on, kid, we're headed home. I loped an arm around his shoulder. He let it sit there until we were outside, then shook it off. What's that about? Your house is not my home. He leaned his cheek against the cold window. You trying to make it look like you care or something? What do you mean? That putting your arm on my shoulder like you care shit. Oh yeah? I want to go home. That's where we're headed. No, my home. I want my mom. I sank into the back of the driver's seat. You really are sick, aren't you? He opened the door and vomited onto the pavement. For once, I truly felt sorry for the kid. I'd had it good as a kid, and I knew it. I grew up in the same house with the same parents in the same neighborhood. Marco hadn't had any of that, going from foster home to foster home or running the streets while mom sat back doing crack, or like now, facing serious prison time. I'd taken him in to keep an eye on him, hoping he'd lead me to Anna Maria's killer, but truth be told, that hadn't even come up since he'd moved in. For all my grousing, I kind of liked having someone in the house again. Making certain he had dinner and got his homework done filled the walls that seemed so empty since Gracie's death. Look, I haven't been the easiest to live with and I know that. I've never been a parent before and I'm pretty lousy at it, I'll admit it. But Miss Linderman has made me responsible for you. Because of the situation with your mother, we can't let you go to your home. I know it's not the same, but it's all I've got for now. He leaned against the window and shot a sideways glance at me before closing his eyes, too sick and too weary to argue. We drove to my house in silence. The quiet gave me time to ponder Anna Maria's case. Somewhere in this town, consenting adults had enough money to indulge their darkest fantasies, and she was somehow involved in it, along with her sister's husband. 
I didn't want to believe that for a substantial fee, Anna Maria dressed up in black leather and hooker heels, and then tied men up to abuse them physically or verbally during sex. A good investigator would have cleared out any and all emotions or beliefs, and looked at everyone, regardless of personal connections. Maybe that was why I never moved up to sergeant, or even detective. I seriously couldn't envision Anna Maria doing that. It didn't surprise me that assholes like Pecorini or Harrison were into that shit. But Harrison's description of Mistress Delaney didn't fit Anna Maria at all. So why was his name on her client list, if that's what it was? Had he not told me the whole story? Was there another dominatrix whose services he utilized? Could it be Anna Maria? And if it wasn't, was she the woman who ran it all, making dates for whoever else, keeping the books? What about the intimidating phone calls she was receiving? Had she threatened to expose one of her clients? Carlotta may have had an inkling that something was going on. If she was as concerned about appearances as Vivian said she was, she would want me to find out before the police did. Still, she had to wonder how the three of them could travel the world each summer on a social worker's salary. At home, I settled Marco on the couch with a pillow, a blanket, and a bucket. I called my sister Katie for what to do next. I have a sick kid here. I need to know what to do. A sick kid? How the hell did that happen? I guess he picked it up at school. Nurse said it was going around. No, Nico, how do you have a kid living with you? It's like a sign of the apocalypse. I explained briefly how Marco had come into my care. And now he's throwing up and I have no clue what to do. She laughed. It's not a whole lot different than rehydrating after a two-day drunk. It's not? I figured that was an example you could relate to. Vodka and orange juice, hair of the dog kind of thing? That can't be illegal. Jesus, no. It's a good thing you never had kids. Give him some chicken soup, some saltine crackers, and 7-Up. I'll come by tonight with dinner for you. I'll bring over some Pepto, too. Marco was asleep when I returned to the living room. I set the crackers and soda can on the coffee table and went upstairs to my office to call Carlotta back. Fitz, I've found some things here that I think you need to see. Like what? Do you know what Kinbaku is? <laughs> 